and we are live so if you are a customer experience professional looking to deliver a rock star customer experience then you are in the right place because today we are talking to the legend herself Jean <laughs> Bliss about business behaviors to make mum proud so if you don't know who I am my name is James Dodkins I used to be an actual real life legitimate award-winning rock star now I'm not. Now I'm a customer <laughs> experience rock star. And it's kind of the same, but slightly less cool. There you go. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm talking to different people from all around the world with different outlooks on customer experience to understand how together we can better deliver that rock star customer experience. So if you've got any questions for Jean, make sure you put them in the comments below. If you think other people might find this interesting too, make sure to give us a little share. So today I am super stoked to be talking to Jean about business behaviors to make mum proud. We're going to be talking about her new book too, and we're going to be discussing elements from that as well but i think i've spoken enough through the power of the internet we should be able to see gene now are you there are you with us i am hello nice Fantastic. to see you nice to see you too how are you doing i'm very very good i've been on the road constantly and uh i'm glad that we found a pocket of time to be together so thank you no problem whatsoever always got time for you always <laughs> so look I'm sure the people watching, there's going to be very few people who don't know who you are, but maybe, maybe there's people that are new to, because who knows, tell them who you are and what you do. Of course. So this is my whole career. My whole life has, uh, business-wise, has been dedicated to this work. I began in 1984, joined a company that was only about $100 million in sales at the time called Land's End. For those of you who don't know what Land's End is, it's a catalog company. At the time, we were kind of the Zappos of our day, uh, reported to the CEO and the founder of the company for 10 years and created the first version of customer experience. Yes, way back then, we were doing it. I then moved on to report to the CEOs of Mazda Corporation, Coldwell Banker Corporation in the States, Allstate Corporation, and finally Microsoft as their first general manager of worldwide customer and partner loyalty. And each, in each of those other companies, I also had the very first role of pushing that rock up the hill, doing the customer experience work, uniting the organization work. Since 2006, I've been writing books. This is my fourth book, um, would you do that to your mother, the Make Mom Proud standard for how to treat your customers? I'm also the co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. I coach leaders and companies all around the world about how to earn the right to growth by improving customers and employees' lives. So it's a thrill to be here with you, James. Nice. Well, it's, it's, I'm so excited to talk about this because <laughs> I've both read and listened to the book as well. Ah, um, so, yes, so I've bought that was two fun. copies, bought two copies. Um, and really, what I want to know first is why this book and why now? Well, you know what's interesting? Because I've been doing this work for so many years and every few years I feel like I need to give back to our community, help us push through whatever challenges occurring inside of the industry and with people and what I'm hearing. And what I'm hearing right now is the work is complicated. It's still hard to break through. We've become consumed with dashboards and numerics, which are very important. But at the end of the day, the reason we're in business is to improve a life. And so what I wanted to do in this book is do three things. Number one, give people 32 toolkits that are immediately actionable so they can cut through the logjam. Number two, 
give them a tool, a way to make the work personal, take people off the spreadsheet. Well, what better than would you do that to your mother? And number three, make this book different than any other book I've done because I wanted to make it fun and also very, very consumable. consumable. So this is 32 toolkits. It's filled with cartoons. It's filled with the mom lens. And essentially you've got 32 action items, action steps to personalize, humanize, and immediately change your culture and work with your leaders to improve your customer experience. So it took 35 years to write a book this way, but I think the time is right for it. I agree. And to, I, I love all those little sections and the, the neat little wrap ups, because I've got to be honest with you, Jean, I'm not a big fan of business books. I know I've, I've written three <laughs> myself, but I'm not a big fan of them. Um, I find a lot of them are unnecessarily waffly. There's a lot of mm. stuff in them that, and, and I really enjoyed listening. Yours was such an easy one to listen to and read because it's full oh, of stories. And what I like is when I'm listening to a book or reading a book, if I can absorb some information that makes me think about something in a mm -hmm. different way, that really does it for me. I'm really like, ah, yes, I never thought like that. That's wicked. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things I kind of want to explore further first. Sure. In the book, you talk about companies enabling employees mm. to thrive. I want to know why, why is that important? Why is that going to help companies grow? Well, so that was the very first chapter. You know, the great thing about writing a book like this is that we also need get to create chapter titles that make sense. And I knew the very first chapter had to be about employees. Think about your life as a customer. You are interacting with employees of an organization, whether you know it or not, the middle of an organization that's creating the spaghetti bowl and the processes and the policies, the front line of an organization, and certainly the leadership of an organization. But what happens frequently, and you know this when you interact with people, is that depending on how much they've been, been hired for the right reason, how much they've been trained and given the tools and the ability and the trust has everything to do with how they're able to help you, how they feel that they're trusted so they can help you. And the company grows as a result of that. So, you know, think about your life, James. Have you ever called an airline more than once? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, what we're doing inside of our organizations inadvertently is we're creating policy cops. We're also creating a dollar dialing for dollars mentality where if we don't get what we need or want from an employee, we will hang up the phone and call again, hoping for a different answer. Now, what we're delivering is an it depends experience. It depends on the person who answers the phone, how long they've been around, how able they are to do the workarounds required, and how much they have been given power to solve that issue for you. And when we do that to employees, we diminish their spirit. So chapter one is about letting people bring the best version of themselves to work through hiring them, through getting rid of the policies that get in their way, through enabling them to be memory makers, through trusting them with customer data, through not making them toggle between 20 different screens or go ask for permission 15 times. Because at the end of the day, what's on the inside shows up on the outside. And that drives growth. Yeah, that's it's a really good way to look at it. And um, it's a nice way to sort of package what arguably can be quite a complicated idea into mm -hmm. something that, you know, it's quite easy to communicate. And when you think of it like that, you go, well, yeah, why, why wouldn't you do it that way? I mean, you spoke about um, the chapters. Yes. Books. You've, got, you've got one called 
So you've got a chapter called Don't Make Me Feed You Soap. <laughs> yes. Okay. Tell me what that's all about. Of course. So the second chapter, so first chapter, we need to address humanity in our business, enable people to care, unite the silos, all of those things that have to do with the humanity of the people who deliver. The second chapter, Don't Make Me Feed You Soap, is about those things that after all these years, James, of all of us beating our breasts and talking about customer experience still define our lives. Companies' time is built on their time, not customer time, right? Like, why do dry cleaners close at five? Um, why are banks closing when we're still trying to do our business? Why do 800 numbers close? You know, why do people require processing and time that's on their schedule? Removing the monkey from customers' backs, right, James? Anytime you ever call a custom a company and they gave you more homework to do, yeah. right? Have you experienced that? Um, not communicating the black hole, not knowing you, right? Do you have you? Would you make your mom keep reintroducing herself to you? <laughs> So in this chapter, I snort, you know, I snort when I laugh um, in this chapter are eight of the most common things that define our lives as customers. Those moments, I call them those bar of soap moments where it creates a put up your Dukes experience. And these are common to all of our lives. So that's chapter two, eight case studies, but almost 30 other companies that have dared to do it differently, James. And that's what this is about. Make mom proud, dare to run your company differently cool i like it the um i mean it's interesting about looking at the employees this way as well and mm -hmm. that's right the employee experience is woven all the way through every chapter you bet because yeah. it's it's really interesting and there's um i think i think a lot of customer experience you know thought leaders are starting to realize now that if you want to put your customers first you really need to put your employees first first and understand that <laughs> if, the, if the leadership looks after the employees in return, the employees will look after the customers and then in return, the customers will look after the, uh, the money. There <laughs> so. you go. Well, and, and you know what, the reason I wrote the book in the way that I did was also to show, show people who read the book leaders inside the organization and the front line, that it's a set of deliberate actions of taking care of employees. So it's not about saying, go be nice or caring. You know, um, there's the, one of the first case studies is Cleveland clinic. And what they did was they actually initially created a rule, which they call, called the no passing rule, meaning if you went by um, a bed in one of their hospitals, a room in one of their hospitals and the call light was on, every single person had permission to go in, not only permission, but were required, whether you're a therapist, delivering flowers, cleaning a sink, you know, a doctor, you don't let that red light stay. So that was giving people permission. The second thing they did was they united everybody's role and called them caregivers. Now, what that does is it now gives people even more permission to be human, to, to do the things that you want to do, but typically your job description won't let you do. And then they also did something they call rounding in the 360, where they take care of the customer as a team of people instead of every single person visiting that patient in the room separately. What's important and what I did in this book, James, is gave you not only the helicopter, you know, let people be good, but here's one, two, three things to get started on that. Because I think sometimes these topics are too conceptual, but there are things we can do and there are things that work. Definitely. Um, 
and I, I like the the idea of the the no pass rule where yeah lights on you do and it's, it reminds me of um a story of there was like um like an outfitters for like fishing and hunting i think it might have been cabela's and they um took away their call centers uh-huh. and it was a case of when when somebody calls in a phone will ring somewhere yeah it's like a bad is, phone right yeah, a bad and, phone yeah, yeah answer it <laughs> because it might be a customer. So you don't know who you could be talking. You might end up talking to the CEO of the company. Um, but yeah, I like that. Like make everyone yeah. realize that what they do on a day-to-day basis really does affect the customer. And e- even if they don't necessarily realize it, they can see a way in which they can affect the customer. So I love that. I mean, what I want to do talk to you about is sure. you talk about you know companies needing to enable people to achieve mm-hmm. their goals why is that so important and what is a good way to go about doing that well that's the third chapter which is called put others before yourself think about business what we inadvertently do right so i give you mom's benefit of the doubt throughout the book is we inadvertently build what we do based on our initial focus is what we want to get from customers or what boxes we want to check off Instead, the paradoxical thing is that the best companies grow by starting with the customer's goals and the customer's life. So think about your experience when you walk into any healthcare facility. What is the first thing they ask you for, James? Uh, you, uh, you, your name, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if it's different in, in the UK. Well, to- you know, it's your insurance information. Your, you, you, know, you, you, you have somebody and they kind of hand you a clipboard. Oh, we've got socialized healthcare, so oh, okay. <laughs> everyone so gets sorry. everything. But <laughs> oh, got it. Okay, see, there you go. I just messed up on that one. But the the point of it is, whether it's healthcare or any other yeah. business model that we're in, what we're doing is we're building what we do based on our needs. Versus, if you start with the customer's goal, what mission do they have? What are they trying to accomplish? And how will you unite all of the parts of your organization to enable that customer to achieve that goal? So that's really what that is. If you start with the customer's life, what it drives is innovation. And it drives thinking past, James, for example, just survey feedback. For example, there's a um, hotel company in the in the book called the Dorchester Hotel Company, and they started getting feedback about breakfast. Now, what I call an everyday company would say, oh my gosh, they don't like the eggs, let's change the eggs or, you know, whatever, and start fooling around with the breakfast menu. But by going deeper and starting with the life and understanding the goals of their particular customers, what they learned was these are people who have every type of dietary uh, restriction or plan that they're on. They're also used to in this uh, hotel group being really taken care of and given customized almost everything in their life. And so at this hotel, when you sit down for breakfast, they say, there is no menu. Whatever you'd like, we will make. That's a completely different way of approaching what you'll do versus let's just tweak some of the things on the menu. That's a really cool. I, I've got to go there. That'd be, that'd be great. But I, I love, I love the the idea of understanding the customer's goal and starting mm-hmm. with that. Um, it's in in my world, we refer to it as a successful customer outcome. Mm-hmm. Understand what a successful customer outcome is. That's right. And then work backwards towards the delivery of it because so many times what people do is they look inwardly first. They look inside their company. That's right. They look at what they're currently doing. They try and they take that sort of 
industrial age mindset they make it more efficient more effective they just get better at what they're already doing and it doesn't matter how good you are at doing what you're doing if what you are doing is the wrong thing to be doing that's right achieve that goal for the customer so i love that idea of starting with the customer's goal their mission their outcome and then working backwards to make sure that you deliver it um the other thing i love as well is that understanding of so yeah the healthcare thing that it's not this not the same yeah, over here but sorry about that, that, that you, it's not <laughs> the, amount, the amount of times you call up a company and you say, I want to talk about this, and they go, okay, what's your account number? And go, right, oh. versus empathizing with you or understanding or really wanting to understand you and your life, yeah. right? But that's the thing. I can't remember 78 different account numbers for all the <laughs> but I will probably never forget my name. So if they right? were to, you know what I mean? If they were to ask that and figure it out that way, that would be much better than well, what's your account number? Oh, but, yeah, so I, I empathize with that a lot, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and in You Know Me, uh, You Know Me is in the SOAP chapter, which is why don't you have that information? Why do you have to ask me for that, right? Like we keep making our customers reintroduce our, themselves to us over and over and over again. Mm. That pisses me off so much. <laughs> Would you make your mom keep reintroducing herself to you? No, but we do it to our customers. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this will bring us on to the next point pretty well. I, I want to talk to you about taking the high road. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, why is it that this is such an important message for people now over any other time? Why is it important for us to really understand the message behind take the high road? Again, know, I think some of, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, James. No, that was it. Again, I think it's connected a little bit to internal agendas and the way people and businesses build those, their spreadsheets based on how they'll grow. A lot of organizations have found that they could get a separate revenue stream from adding on service prices or fees. You know, we all know inside of airlines, banks, there's a fee for everything. We also have experienced much fine print that inadvertently again creates a gotcha moment where there's not clear language and so we don't know where we're going to get pinged by an organization there's also uh, the way that companies sell to us you know we're and, and as a result what we feel as customers is an imbalance that the company somehow is holding the cards so again these are extra fees fine print those gotcha moments, you know, have you ever tried to redeem a coupon, for example, for a free lunch and you go in and you hear, oh, that's only every other Tuesday and when there's a full moon, you know, so many ifs, ands, and buts to these offers yeah. that you feel like, well, gosh, why did you do that in the first place? So yeah. that chapter is leadership. That chapter is really about challenging leaders how you will and will not grow. Yeah, I think it's... um. It's kind of like with the, you know, like the rebates that people used to do. Right. And and they'd make it so bloody difficult to get it done because they didn't really want you to do it. And it's so, it really, realistically, it is underhand. It is an underhand way to, to do it. And I think, I think you are right that customers have changed and we are a different breed at the moment. So mm -hmm. we need a different mindset to, to make things right. Um, before I move on to the next question, I just want to give some shout outs to some of the people sure. that have commented along. So Steve Taylor is watching. Love your hey, resume. He said, he said, wow, that is one hell of a resume. <laughs> um, Todd Nelson uh, watching, talking about the golden versus the platinum rule. So instead of treating people as you would want to be treated, treat people as they would want to be treated. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. Um, 
Yeah, and and Steve's saying like the the company is holding all the cards, and I think mm -hmm. this is this is the point that I really want to make with this. Things have changed with customers, and there's almost been a big shift, and we're starting to realise as customers now. Hang on a second, you're not doing us a favour by allowing us to buy your things. Right. We're doing you a favour by giving you our business, and I think there has been that massive shift where. It's completely changed the industry, and I think that is what that is why customer experience has become such a such a big thing, such almost almost a buzzword because people are starting to realise that ah shit, what do we do now? And realise that we well, we got to focus on the customer. We've got to deliver that That's experience. That's right. That's what, right. What we do is now secondary to how we do it. Mm -hmm. Um. So so right. What I want to talk to you about is talking about experiences. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about the reader experience for the book. Tell me about the toolkits. Sure. Um, and tell tell me sort of what the flow is like for the person that's going to be reading the book. Of course, and thank you for that. So again, the way I wrote the book, can you see it here? Yep. Um, James and I know something that everybody else doesn't is, which is that I can't necessarily see myself. So I'm looking at a blank screen right now. Um, technology is so much fun. So the first chapter is really an introduction. Picture your mom, really to walk you through getting to this mindset of, you know, creating a lens. I call it the mom lens in your organization. But then the reader experience is for every chapter. So here's be the person I raise you to be for every chapter. You have an introduction to the chapter and then eight case studies. Each case study starts with a comic and in a little bit of time, I'll be able to let you download these comics as well. There's tools. I've built an e-course. Then after the comic, because we learn really visually, after the comic, there's a little bit of verbiage that lets you immediately use this inside your organization. And then a one page, can you see that James? Yep. A one page case study, and then a, what I call a mom lens. So it's not enough just to read about somebody who's done something good. You also have to reflect on how you're doing it inside of your organization. And so with those three things, the cartoon, the introduction, the case study that gives you an example of very operational things, and then the mom lens to reflect, you can immediately start taking action. And what's wonderful about this is that these are companies of every different size. Yes, we have the big companies who have been successful for many years, but many smaller companies, startup companies, there's a lot of these really disruptive companies in there as well. And we always say, gosh, I hope they make it. Let's hope that they make it. This is really cool. So here's what they're doing to grow so far. And then the last chapter is your audit chapter, your quiz. And some people who are reading the book are starting with this. This is a chapter called uh, Stop the Shenanigans. And it's a summary of all of the case studies. And then each one is really a very deliberate operational quiz. So you've got a summary of the case study, then some questions to audit where you are and a make mom proudometer, just a simple way to say, where are we today? And we're gonna be putting this up eventually on the website and working on that as well, so that that can be an automated quiz. But in the meantime, you can get it as a PDF as well. Sweet. Yeah. I've got, I've got my copy here for people at home can see. Proof, proof, proof I've got it. Um, so what I want to talk to about to you about here is now, first of all, I don't like the phrase frontline. I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you. I think the, the okay. phrase frontline is not a good one. It, in it not 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 having a go at you, I'm having a go at everyone that uses yeah. it. I, I use yeah, it. Yeah, no, time. it makes sense. And we I should probably come up one. with a different word, right? Yeah, because the thing is the front it, it may it conjures up the idea of a war between the company yeah. and the customer. It's not a war. 
Why are we using <laughs> words like that? But anyway, Fair. that aside. That's a good one, James. No, you're right. We should think about it. We should need to change that. I agree. Let's, let's think about that and come up with something new. But that aside, how important is the front line in all of this? Well, they are, the in, in many ways, um, the face to the customer. They're not the only face to the customer, though. But what's important is that we need to recognize that how we hire everybody in our organization is critical. But the, the people who are the humans interacting with their customers are becoming more important than ever. You know, what's interesting, James, is as high tech is swinging really far to the right, you know, we've got AI and bots and chat and everything. People thought for a long time that the human is going to be less important. But here's the deal. Yes, we've got people who are going to opt into self-service more and more and more. But there are always going to be people who need a personalized piece of help, need that action. When they opt out of self-service, these humans talking to the customer, the, the conversation people, the people who have to solve, they need to be smarter now. They need to be given more tools. They need to be trained, not only in technical skills, but hired first for the light behind their eyes. And then they need to be trusted. So I think the water level of these folks who are interacting with companies actually needs to rise. They need to become more important and thought of as customer rescue artists, customer heroes, not the front line, right? They are the people putting customers back together again. Definitely. And I like, I like the phrase there, hiring people for the, the light the behind, light their, behind eyes. their eyes. That's right. So when it comes to hiring people for the light behind their eyes, can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Um, what does it mean and how do you spot it? Sure. So this is about, you know, for a long time, the way that hiring was done was starting with your skills, what you've written on your resume of, you know, let's say you're a computer programmer or you're in human resources or you're someone who's a salesperson. The first things that we always asked about were your skills that align to that job. But what we're finding in the best companies that are building the most prosperous employee bases as well as customer bases are, is that they're first doing a, a number of things. They are really clear about the values that need to live and thrive inside of their organization. And then they're hiring in different manager ways. They're nudging, as my Italian grandma would say, people out of traditional hiring practices so they can watch them and how they would behave naturally. So for example, there's a case study in the book, a company called Pale Sudden Service. They're in Tennessee. They have 27 stores, uh, restaurants. They're fast food, hamburgers, hot dogs. They actually put their people through what they call a 60-point psychometric survey. And this asks about, gets to the core of the humanness of who they are. Things like, in general, I feel pretty good about myself. I think it's important to trust people who I just met. I raise my voice to get attention. And what happens there now, James, is now you're learning more about the human being. And that becomes the first line of deciding who's the first group in our organization from a human standpoint who will then continue to move on. Lots of companies do interesting things like this. Southwest Airlines, a United States airline company, they do a lot of role playing to really understand the human and who they are and what's important to them. Um, the, the CEO of IHOP would 
take his or her her um, executive potential executive candidates to an international house of pancakes uh, restaurant, and uh, because she wanted to see how they tra treated the weight people. Yes. So the goal is to do things that you could see them, take them off the piece of paper, take them off the resume, see who they are as humans, see if they sparkle, see what their humanity is. I'm still here. I'm just making a note because you said something. Uh, it's kind of like um, how sometimes Zappos, um, yeah. when they pick someone up from the airport, the driver right. sort of reports back whether basically That's whether right. the person's been a dick or not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a Brett, Brett Gill has just commented. He he's suggested that maybe we could rename the front line the only people in this organization that actually provide value to the customer. Well, it's, it's, well it's good. That, that's pretty extreme, but I, I get it. I get it because the people. Are, I don't think it will catch on, but it's, <laughs> thanks for contributing anyway. That's, well, and I think that for customers, they're the they're the voice, they're the human, they're the personality of the organization. Um, what we know, though, is the middle of the organization that it's creating the complexity. They all need to come together and ask as they're creating the rules and the policies and the processes, you know, for example, how to get through a phone tree or how to get your loan application approved. Would you do that to your mother? And so every level of the organization really becomes important when you start looking at it that way. The, the people who are interacting with customers become the voice and the, and the beating heart. Yeah. So, but you're right about Zappos. Yeah, when you're picked up, you're on an interview. The hiring team always wants to know, you know, did you sit? In, did they sit in the front seat? Did they yeah. sit in the back seat? Were they talkative with you, or did they look at you as a chauffeur? Right? I mean, cues. We want to know the human cues. And yeah. what's cool about that is, if you think about that, a priority in your hiring process, you can get really innovative, really yeah. innovative and creative. There's a uh, ice cream shop in Austin called Amy, Austin, Texas called Amy's Ice Creams, and um, their experience is like an ice cream carnival ride. You go in there and they're throwing ice cream balls from one to another, and they're balancing it, and they're doing all kinds of wonderful antics with the ice cream as they make it, and it's one of those places where they make the homemade, you know, they make your cup based on everything you put in it, et cetera. Um, and they need to hire animated people, but yeah. you can't say to the teenager in front of you, are you a little bit nuts? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a law against that. So they give them a white paper bag, James, and these candidates have to come back with that white paper bag turned into something creative. Yeah. And so that is very cool, right? That is very cool. Yeah. That is very cool indeed. But look, Jean, I'm thinking with this. Yeah. There's got to be an element of trust involved. Um, two two ways. The company has really got to trust the employees. To, yes. to do the right thing but also the employees have got to trust the company that they they've got that freedom to do the right thing what's the what's the best way to nurture that trust in a well, company there's first of all what we're seeing for example continuing on with the example of cleveland clinic which we talked about with the no passing rule they have a whole way of which they hire people but then they train them this is also an investment in enabling people to do the right thing by training them on what 
responses are, but then also giving them the tools. So for example, we know on the front line, a lot of times, not front, so I use that word, I apologize, it's kind of just wired in. On the people talking to customers, sometimes we don't give them the lifetime value of a customer. Maybe it's about trust, but sometimes it's just that the company doesn't have their act together to give them all the information. Yeah. So when you think about, okay, we've gotta give these folks the ability to make a call, in order to make a call, sometimes they need to know the value of a customer. So we need to bring the data together. We need to make sure they don't have to toggle between 15 different screens to know really what the customer went through. We need to train them on skills for doing that. And then we need to trust. This isn't blind trust. This is enabled trust, right? Hire the right people, give them the right information, make it easy for them to have the information, train them, trust them yeah, that's a nice way to yeah nice little package to put little it in package. that's nice right little, nice little package a bundle <laughs> you were <laughs> oh there's that smart <laughs> never lose that that's, that's so cool um, i do it on stage anybody want to hire me you're going to get the snort when i do a keynote that's right what, for free they don't even have to pay extra Throw that right in. that's right <laughs> nice that's what i like extra value um that's right I mean, you have you have spoken about this already, but what, what I'd like to, speaking of putting things in little packages, I'd, I'd like to get this in one answer specifically about this thing. Sure. So you say make hiring your most important decision. Why is that? And what are your favorite best practices right now when people are hiring people? Well, think about your life. You may have a partner, a spouse, we think about those decisions in our life because we think about them for the long haul. The companies that are really focusing on building prosperity, prosperity of the human spirit in their employees that then yields and earns prosperity in the relationships between their customers and their partners and their employees, they make hiring the most important decision because the people interacting with customers and who they are and the values that they are have the leaders of the organization and who they are in the middle of the organization, we all need to be congruent. We all need to have a common level and a common approach of taking actions in business that are congruent with the actions that we would naturally take at home, the values that drove us. Some of the best practices that I am finding and that I'm really enamored with right now, of course, is Pale Sudden Service. I talked about their case study in the book. What's genius about them and, and the numbers bear it out is that uh, they've lost seven general managers in 33 years. They've earned about 300% increase in sales since they started. Their turnover rate is one third the natural national average. Um, there's other companies like um, Wegmans Foods, a, a favorite food store on the yeah. eastern seaboard of the United States. They will actually change, stop their growth trajectory for entering a market until they have a full team that are the right people that are gelled and that can come together to deliver the Wegmans experience. And so what's great is it starts with clarity of knowing who you are, what you want to stand for in the marketplace, and therefore the kind of people that you want to represent you. And then from there, that drives innovation and hiring, how you'll develop these people, how you'll train them, and then finally enable them to be trusted. Perfect. That's, 
yeah, it's, it's a really cool way to look at it. And when you start to think about it, it's almost quite exciting to think how sort of innovative you can get with your hiring. And it's, it almost turns it turns it into real good fun to be able sure. to look at look at the way that you hire people and and really make sure they are right for you and right for your culture and right for right for the family of the company. Um, okay, one of my favourite things from the book was getting into the habit of asking people in the company what's getting in your way. Mm. What I want to know is. Well, I mean, first of all, explain that a little bit more for the people who don't know what that is. And number sure. two, why is that so effective? So in the um, in the chapter of uh, Be the Person I Raise You to Be, there's this whole notion around we inadvertently turn our employees, our people, whether they're in the middle or, the you know, wherever they are in the organization, we turn them into policy cops. And the reason that exists, James, is because every part of the organization is focused on achieving their key performance indicators, those red, yellow, and green dots, and those KPIs that drive whether they've executed an action item or a work stream they're working on. And what happens as a result is people start to create control through policies and processes. And when the customer needs something, those little walls go up and they're served back the policy and the process versus an ability to deliver a whole experience to the customer or to truly take care of the customer. So one of the companies that um, is a great make mom proud company is uh, originally they were called Commerce Bank. Now they're part of TD Bank. And the, the gentleman who started Commerce Bank started something he called a kill a stupid rule movement. Hmm. And that is joyous for employees because what we do is by stage of the journey or stage of the experience or mission customers are trying to accomplish, you simply bring the, the employees in together, every part of the organization, and you say, what's getting in your way? What's preventing you from delivering value? What are customers tussling with us on here? And what do we need to do to make it easier and make it easier on you and the customer? And usually it's a little bit of both. Yeah. See, I, I love that because and a lot of people disagree me, with me on this, but I'm not a massive fan of customer feedback. Um, we can talk about that <laughs> some other time. Well, but I just think it needs to be balanced from multiple sources, including the front line. Or the, I say that, James, don't get mad at me every time I say that, but the people who interact with the customer. Yeah. The, um, no, but it's, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I understand it's almost like a necessary <laughs> evening in this day and age, but like in a utopian world, in an idealistic way, if you truly understood your customers and understood the things that needed to happen in order to deliver the, that success, that goal, you probably wouldn't need to ask them whether you did it or not because you'd be measuring things internally. And because you understood the goal that you needed to achieve, you would fix the experience in the experience. <laughs> but look, th that's about a, a different thing. Well, but I, but I do address is, that very much, actually, in my Chief Customer Officer 2.0 book, which is really around building a balanced way of listening yeah. so that... You know what? I think I remember. Isn't there a story what? about Adobe? Yes. Not very... Yeah. Ah, see, I've read that well, one too. you did. And customer feedback, from my point of view, should actually validate what you already know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, go moving on. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the, the point of that is what, what I like about that is that your employees probably know all, all the shit that's happening with the customers mm -hmm. anyway. You don't need to go to your customers and say, well, we don't really know what's going on. Can you tell us? Well, like, here's what's interesting though, James. I agree that they know many, many of the things, 
but they're also entrenched in those processes. So when we do customer journey mapping and we work with customers, we always go to the employees first and we'll map the journey and then we'll have the employees brainstorm the touch points. And then we'll ask the employees to identify the top 15 most important touch points. Then we'll take what the employees built. We use magnetic boards for each stage of the journey is a magnetic board. We'll bring in 10 or 15 customers and we'll ask them to talk about what goals they're trying to achieve in each stage. And as they're talking about their goals, touch points that employees hadn't even thought about emerge because even our employees, James, are locked in the box of what we're trying to execute today versus those goals customers have. Yeah. And then, and I don't mean to be goofy about this, but then the other cool thing is we have the customers then, they use magnetic dots, identify the top 15 touch points from their point of view. And there may be three or four that are the same as the employees, but frequently they've identified different touch points. And in many cases, because the new ones they've identified, they also prioritize. Always begin with the employees. But then yeah, when you it. ask questions that are grounded in customers' goals, we expand it because employees are, are locked into your current operating model, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the way you're talking about it is because don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk to our customers. I think that is one of the most vital things we can do. It's just... <laughs> I think it needs to be proactive rather than, you know, reactive. Right. Yeah. Reactive, you're just reacting to the problems. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it does come back to that, the conversation we had earlier about understanding the customer's goals and then building the experiences to deliver them, not just right. seeing, making something that we think is cool and then asking them afterwards. That's right. Do the thing. So perfect. Yeah. Um, one, one study that, I, that you mentioned in the book that I found fascinating. So I found it fascinating that... There are people that would pass up a 20% raise mm. over more control over, over the work they do. Can you tell us more about that study and why do you yeah. think that is? Well, you know, I mean, think about our own life again. When we feel the happiest, the most fulfilled, it's because we have a seat at the table. When it's because we feel we've been honored and our ideas and we're part of something greater than ourselves. When we lock our employees into coming into work, and doing box, 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 check, 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 these set of things over and over again. And they're not given the opportunity to have a seat at the table, be part of redesign, be part of the brainstorming, be asked about what they're hearing and understanding in customers' lives. It actually starts to say, well, I could do the same thing I'm doing here at this company. And if suddenly this company looks like they're doing better or they're going to give me more, why not move? But when we raise the water level. Again, we involve employees and they're able to not only be part of the process of designing, thinking, inspiring, but then they're given the ability, like we talked about earlier, to use that brain and that intuition to make on the spot decisions that could be much better covered than a blanket policy. That People, can't, you can't put money on that. They Now you're honoring me and my humanity and my goodness and my brains and my smarts. And now I feel like I'm part of the greater good. That drives prosperity. That grows businesses. Yeah, that's got it, it, It's almost like that's that's one of the best gifts you could give to any employee. So, that's right. That's a yeah. big study that was in there. And it was really important. I thought it was important because throughout the book, I'm not just throwing these things out like pontifications. Everything is valid. 
grounded in the underbelly of at the end of the day, so much of this is about culture and people and the interrelationships inside of organizations that people have and how easy or hard it is to really change the culture, enable employees. And from a leadership standpoint, leaders need to model the behavior that they want their employees to model. And if employees don't see leaders doing what leaders say the company should stand for, your employees are going to call baloney on that as well. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's, a, that's a massive one as well, isn't it? So yes. if, if, if you've got certain values as a, a company, it's not just good enough to just <clears throat> stick them on a the wall and say, Hey, you guys have to do that. But it's about everybody living and breathing them every single day. And, that, and that's, that's it. Right. And you're, you're exactly right. That if, if a leader is telling you to act in a particular way, but then acting in a completely different way, it's it's not it's not the old adage of a parent saying, "Don't do what I do, do what I say." <laughs> That's right. Can't get away well, with that. That's right. In the take the high road chapter, you know, for example, when there is a major catastrophe inside of an organization, employees will look at leaders' responses mm -hmm. and their behavior to see how they should respond and behave. Yeah. Right. It's an indicator of how much we've wired humanity into our operating model. That's deep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So look, right. What I want to know is, so the book is full. The book is full of amazing stories. Okay. You, for you personally, what is um, your favorite one? You know, I don't have a favorite. Everybody asks me. I, you know, I, I, I can put my glasses on. I have to put my glasses on to read, to look at the book and, and, and pull some of them from the um, different chapters. But you know, I, I'd have to say that I'm a, I'm a huge fan in the first chapter, Be the Person I Raised You to Be of Cleveland Clinic. I'm, I'm really tickled by a lot of what these organizations have done. Um, the, certainly PAL's Sudden Service, you know, they've, hired, they've won a Malcolm Baldridge Award for quality. Nice. I, love the, I love the story about Union Score Hospitality Group. They hire based on a hospitality quotient, and then they – they give people technology tools only only in order to let them be more human. You know, Danny Meyer, who many people probably know, he's a guru, of course, in the whole service and hospitality industry. And, and he says, you know, there's two reasons why my people have uh, or wear Apple watches. Number one, they wear uh, the sommeliers wear one so that they can be pinged to know when to go top off somebody's glass of wine. <laughs> and the valets wear one so that when someone's done or about done and paying their check, they know when to bring the car around or in the winter to heat it up to make sure it's warm. And what's wonderful about that is they started with the life and then they added these technology things and to enable them to be better at being good humans, yeah. better at serving, you know, and, and that goes right back to prosperity. So uh, love those, you know, I mean, there's great ones in every chapter. I, I, I love the story. It's not necessarily a, a, a business one, but I love the story on um, put others before yourself. The um, in New York, they found a way to um, provide funding and resources and the leaders to run uh, Girl Scouts um, chapters for the homeless girls, you know, oh. and, and the whole point of that is when you start with the life, it 
it's, there's nothing you can't accomplish. You know, this is, this is New York where they didn't necessarily have funding, but they started with those girls in that life. And the correlation to that is typically inside of our businesses, we don't necessarily always have piles of money hanging around to do this work. But when you rethink the priority of the business and helping customers achieve their goal, and then you look at all the other stuff we're doing that doesn't necessarily do that, you can find the money. You can mm. find the people. You can find the resources. The innovation rises, and it enables us to do the work. Where in the past, when you're just looking at it as projects on a piece of paper, the, the humanity and the spirit of that doesn't come out. So, I think that's... Um the perfect way to wrap up um so look for people watching if they want to get in touch with you there is a link in the comments uh that takes you to a page with lots of different ways but what's your preferred way for people to get in touch and where can people get the book sure so the book would you do that to your mother is available every place you buy books amazon barnes and noble 800 ceo read but any place you prefer to buy a book the book is there it's also on my website. And for me, that's probably the easiest way to find me right now. My last name is bliss, like happiness, customerbliss.com. And I'm on Twitter at Jean bliss. Feel free to reach out. Also find me on LinkedIn. I am answering people's answering people's questions all the time. And I'm happy to answer yours as well. So a uh, customerbliss.com, the simplest, but of course on those social media places as well. Perfect. Perfect. Well, look, thank you so much for being with us today. And for the people watching, thank you very much for watching as well. Thanks for all the yes. engagement. Thanks for all the comments. Now, until next time, keep on delivering that rock star customer experience. Thanks.